Today we're going to go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, Old Testament, first book of the Bible. Uh, and I know this is maybe a little unusual for an Easter morning just to, to use an Old Testament text, but I think you're going to see uh, why it's important and why it's applicable for us today as we get into this. Um, so 49, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12. And we're going to be touching on some New Testament references as well as we get deeper into the message. So, so here at Harvest, this Easter, uh, we are looking at some biblical pictures of Jesus. Specifically, the lion and the lamb, as you can see up on our wall here. And if you were with us Friday night for our Good Friday service, um, you know that we had a live baby lamb here on the stage as an illustration of Jesus being the lamb of God for us. And so, not to be outdone on Easter morning, today we have a live lion for you. I'm just joking, we didn't do that. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to, but the staff was like, yeah, we, that's not a good idea. Um, we can see the headlines Monday morning, and that's not going to work well. So, uh, so, no lion this morning, but um, I do want us to look at this kind of stark, contrasting pictures that the Bible gives us of who Jesus is. And so I put some on the screen for you instead. So we have the, the lamb here, again, is that pure, meek sacrifice used in offerings to God and sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament to atone for the sins of the people. But then in contrast to that, we have the lion, the fierce ruler of the animal kingdom, the king of everything. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is both, that he's both. In uh, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says this. He says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then we get to Revelation 5.5, 5, and John the Apostle says this. He says, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you hear that? The Lion of Judah has conquered. That's Jesus too. And so today I want to look at that and, and what, it, what does it mean that Jesus is the Lion of Judah? And then more importantly maybe, um, what's that have to do with us today in 2023? Why should we care about that? Why does that matter at all? Well, I'll tell you to start off, it's, it's not just a like historical family nickname for Jesus, okay? There's more to it than that. It's not his, his spirit animal, as some might want to say in our modern day culture. This is actually pointing back to a, a prophecy in the Old Testament, in Genesis, that says that Jesus is God's appointed and long-awaited king, the Messiah, the Lion of Judah, who was going to come and save his people. Which is why it is of supreme importance to every single one of us in the room today. Because for us, our eternity depends on the Lion of Judah. For every single one of us, our eternity depends on King Jesus. And so we're going to look at this prophecy this morning, but I want to ask you this question as we start to walk through the text. Do you trust King Jesus to save you? Do you, not your neighbor, not your wife, not your kids, do you trust King Jesus to save you? Now, before I dig into the scripture, I want to give you some background, because some of this, for some of us, this might not be a, a very familiar passage. But for the background here, it's coming from Jacob. Jacob was the father of Israel, the father of God's people. 
all, of the, all the nation of Israel came from Jacob's family. He had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Judah, and they made up the Israelite or the Jewish people. And here in this, in this uh, um, scripture, he's coming to the end of his days. Like he knows life is short, he's coming to the end, and he wants to speak a blessing over each one of his sons and their families. And so he goes through the whole list, and some of them are good, some of them are not so good, but there's one that stands out, and that's the one we're going to look at today, it's just the one, and that is Judah, his son Judah. It's definitely different than the others, and he speaks to Judah and his immediate family, but he also speaks about this coming descendant of Judah that's going to be greater than all of the rest. And Jacob actually prophesies thousands of years ahead of time that the Messiah, the king, was going to come from Judah's family, from the line of Judah. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the scripture. Genesis 49, verse 8. We'll start right there. It says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's sons shall bow down before you. So the first thing that this, this teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. That is, that is worship language he's using there, right? Your brothers shall praise you or worship you. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Now, this would have been completely shocking to the rest of the family. Like, this would have been very out of pocket for Jacob to say this. Because, see, Judah was the fourth born son. Fourth. Like, he didn't even make the top three, right? He shouldn't even be on the podium. <laughs> and somehow, he gets the blessing. We would have expected it to go to Reuben, the firstborn, right? But he made some mistakes, and it got taken away from him, and so he's not it. And so we go down the line, and then we're like, okay, if it's not Reuben, it's probably going to be Joseph, right? Because Joseph was the favored son. He was the one that got all the gifts, and he was the one that Jacob loved the most. And, and he just saved the whole family from dying in a famine, by the way. So he's got some extra points in his pocket <laughs> compared to the other sons. But it's not Joseph either. It's, it's Judah, because as we're going to see throughout this scripture, God does things differently than we do. God sees things different than the way we see them. And so he says here, Jacob says that the rest of the family, the rest of God's people, will worship Judah's descendant as their Lord. And we see this first come true in King David. David was like the most famous king of Israel, and he came from the family of Judah, the line of Judah. And when he got into uh, the throne, man, he was a beloved and exalted king. Everybody loved David. He was their greatest king for many years. But eventually, he died. And after that, eventually his kingdom crumbled. And it didn't last. It didn't stand because David wasn't the one he was talking about. David was just the precursor. He was just the forerunner of the greater Lord that was going to come to God's people through the line of Judah, who is Jesus. And Jesus is a greater Lord because he is the eternal Lord. David had his time, but Jesus is the promised one. And not just Israel will bow down to him, but all of God's people will bow down to Jesus as their Lord. Listen to this scripture that talks about it in the New Testament. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
You see, one day, every single person who has ever lived will bow down before Jesus and confess that he is the Lord. But here's the thing. Some will do it in triumph. Because this is the long-awaited Lord that they have believed in, that they have followed, that they have loved, that they have worshipped, and he's finally here. And they're going to bow down with great hearts of triumph and worship. But there's others who will bow down in trembling. Because this is the Lord that they rejected, that they didn't believe in, that they didn't accept. And they're going to bow, but it's going to be a different type of bow. And the difference depends on the decision that we make now. Not then, now. You can either willingly submit and worship Jesus as the Lord of your life now, or you can wait and be forced into submission in the next life when he returns as the eternal Lord and King, the reigning Lion of Judah. Either way, we will all bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. But how you bow will determine how you spend your eternity. Either in the presence of the king or in the punishment of the enemy. As I was thinking about this concept this week, it actually reminded me of, I'm I'm an old history teacher, it reminded me of the start of our own nation. The United States started with the War of Independence, right, against Great Britain, at least that's what we call it. You go go across the pond, they have a different name in their history books. (laughs) It's called the Great Rebellion over there. Um, Different perspectives, right, different sides. But in that war, the colonists all had to make a decision, right? Were they going to side with the patriots and fight for independence? Or were they going to side with the loyalists and be loyal to the crown and to Great Britain and to the motherland? And that decision that they made, which side they chose, would determine their fate at the end of the war. Whoever won, whoever was the lord of the land in the end, was going to determine whether or not they made the right decision and where they were going to end up in the end. It's a great picture of where we're at spiritually with the Lord. Right now, we have to make a decision. Are we going to follow Jesus as Lord? Or are we going to follow the things of this world or someone else or even ourselves? But here's the difference. We already know who wins the war. We don't have to guess. It's already been declared. It's already been decided that Jesus is the one who will win. And so we can put our faith in him and follow him now with confidence that one day we will get to bow before the true Lord, Jesus Christ. One day he will return and reign as Lord. Will you bow in triumph because you believed or in trembling because you did not? The key is you can't wait till it's too late. Have you submitted to Jesus as your Lord?
First thing we see is that Jesus is the Lord. But there's more. Look at verse 8 again. He says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. And then he says this, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. That tells us that Jesus is also the victor. Number two, Jesus is the victor. That phrase, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, it was a, it was a phrase used to describe military power and, and dominance over others. It was like, you can put your hand on their neck and control them, right? And so the picture here is, again, pointing first to David. If you know anything about David, when he came into the throne, he came through military might and power. He was a, a great warrior. He led Israel into unparalleled victories and military dominance in the land. They defeated all the foes. They had a long age of peace under David because of these victories. He was the primo victor. He had destroyed every foe that Israel had. But even that peace that he achieved was only temporary. It was a temporary military peace because David could defeat all the foes on the outside, but he could not defeat the foes on the inside. That's where Jesus comes. Jesus comes as the greater victor and defeats the greater enemies that all of us suffer from and that none of us can defeat on our own. The enemies of sin and death and Satan himself. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's true. One day, Jesus is coming back, and he will defeat all of the earthly kingdoms that oppose him. But even greater than that, he will conquer the kingdom of Satan himself. Here, it describes it as destroying every rule and authority and power. That's not just physical. That's spiritual powers that he's defeating and destroying there. In other words, the lion will arise victorious over all of it. But then it says this, most of all, Jesus will destroy death. He will destroy death itself. The one thing that we all fear, the one thing that hangs over all of us, one day will be no more, and Jesus will deliver us from death into eternal life with him. Sure, in this life right now, we're still plagued by death. We still have to deal with that. We still see it. We still experience it. We still have to walk through the death of others that we love, and it's hard and it's painful, but we can do it knowing that the victory has already begun. It's not finished yet, but it's already begun. It's already guaranteed that Jesus will win. We're just waiting for him to return and to give that final blow to death so that we might all walk with him into eternal life. He is the victor over even our greatest enemy. Our family, uh, we have three girls in our family, three daughters, and we all love to watch movies together. It's kind of a family thing that we do. And we have a few movies we, we tend to re-watch from time to time. You guys have those like your family favorites, right? And, um, but we have, we have one of our daughters who she gets really into the movie, right? And she's just, she's all in, she's dialed in, man. And, and when it gets really intense or really suspenseful, or like really, you know, building up, like she gets so nervous. Like she starts like fidgeting and she can't like, she gets so worried about what's going to happen. Sometimes she'll physically get up and leave the room. Like she'll like go stand in the hallway. She's like, I can't watch. 
And, and she'll do this even when it's a movie we've already seen. And we're like, baby, like you already know. Like you've already seen, like you know they win. They, they come out on top. It's going to be okay. She's like, I don't know, I can't, I can't watch. I'm like, you already know the end. So why are you scared? But so many of us fall into the same thing when it comes to life. Right? When life is hard and the walls are crashing in on us, when the waves are coming down on us and we can't breathe and we can't find a way out, we freak out and we're filled with anxiety and fear and despair as if we don't know what the future holds. As if we don't know who's going to win. I get it. I'm not trying to downplay the hardships of this life. I've been there. Our family has walked through our fair share. I get it firsthand. Life is hard. Sometimes unpleasant things happen. It is hurtful. But we can still walk through that with hope because Jesus is the victor. Even if we have to go through a season, in the end, he will win. We don't have to live in fear and anxiety and despair. We don't, that doesn't have to be our life. We can have hope and peace and joy if our faith is in Christ who guarantees the victory. We know the ending. Jesus is the victor. Are you living with hope because Jesus is your victor? Have you received that personally? As you put your faith in Christ, are you able to walk in the hope that Jesus is the victor of it all? He is the Lord. He is the victor. There's a third one. Look at number. Look at verse 9. It says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Number three, Jesus is the king. Here we finally get to the lion. This, this imagery that God uses to reference the lion of Judah and to point to the kingly rule that will come from Judah's line. And we know that's what he's talking about here because in the very next line he tells us that the scepter, the king's scepter, shall not depart from Judah. And again, many of people thought that this was David. Because he was such a great king and he had such a great empire. Like, surely, there's, David's going to be on the throne forever. One of his descendants, somebody from his, his line, will always be king over Israel. And let me just tell you, they had a pretty good run. Right? They went for a while. But eventually, Judah fell, Israel fell, they all went into exile, and there was no king on the throne of Israel. In fact, past that point, there was never really a king again on the throne of Israel, over the promised land, over all that God had given his people without some type of foreign influence or rule. That is why, when we get to the New Testament, that's why the Jews were so hungry and so ready for the Messiah to come. They were longing for him because they believed he was going to come and restore the kingdom of Israel and put them back on top, that he was going to sit on the throne of David and rule forever. 
And then Jesus came, but he came to be a new king, a different kind of king. See, Jesus wasn't so concerned with earthly kingdoms or power or money. That wasn't his thing. He was here to build a spiritual kingdom, to be a spiritual king over all of those who would put their faith in him and follow him as they worship the Lord. A kingdom that would give tribute and obedience, not to a man, but to God himself. That's the kingdom Jesus was building. A kingdom that would last beyond this world, throughout all of eternity, as it said, that it would never depart from his rule. And again, we see this prophecy fulfilled in Revelation eleven fifteen. Where the Apostle John records this, he says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You see, when Christ returns, and when he sets up his kingdom, he will reign forever. And all who put their faith in him, who have trusted in Jesus, who give them, who gives him the tribute of their hearts and the obedience of their lives, we will get to reign with him forever. You know, the Bible talks a lot about kings and Jesus being the king. And sometimes I think as Americans, we, we don't really get that. <laughs> we don't really get kings so much. We get presidents, right? Like presidents we understand. But we get to, like, switch them out every four years if we want, right? We just vote, and they're gone, and next one comes in. But that's not the way kings work. See, when a king comes to the throne, they're the king forever. They're the king until they die. In fact, usually that's how you switch kings. Somebody kills one of them, right? That's the only way they get off the throne. But again, Jesus is a different kind of king. You see, this king, he's already died. He's already passed through death and came back to life, and therefore he will never die again. And when he becomes king, he will be king forever in his eternal kingdom. The question is not, is Jesus king? The question is, is he your king? See, every one of us, when we start this life, we start out with a different king. We have a different king sitting on the throne of our heart. It's king me. I'm the one in control. I'm the one ruling. I get to call the shots. And we kind of like it that way. But let me just tell you today, one day, king me will die. One day, king me will no longer be here. And the state of your heart and the state of your soul, when that happens, will determine what happens next. You can either put King me to death now and give Jesus the throne of your life and make him the king of your heart and follow him into eternity. Or you can hold on to King me in this life. You can hold on to control. He'll let you do that. You can keep ruling. You can keep doing your own thing. But one day, King me will be dethroned. And when that happens, you will have to live separated from God for all of eternity. 
banished from his presence because you did not recognize him as king. Suffering eternal punishment for your rejection of him. But there's good news. The choice is actually yours. He has already opened the door and invited you to come and to submit to him as king. To put him as king of your life and king of your heart. He's given you that shot right now. But the choice is yours. He will not make you do it. You have to choose to submit to King Jesus. Is Jesus the king of your heart today? Most important question you can ask yourself. Is Jesus the king of your heart today? So he is the Lord, he is the victor, he is the king. But then one more thing that is maybe most important. Look at verse 11. Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Lastly, we see that Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. It says that he washed his garments in wine, the blood of grapes. Again, they're using poetic imagery there as making wine into blood. And following what we just read, that he is the victor king, right? Well, you might assume that, hey, this blood on his garments, it's the blood of his enemies, right? Like he's defeated all of his enemies and foes, and now he's reveling in their blood. But it's not. Remember, Jesus is a different kind of king. The blood on his garments is not the blood of his enemies. It's his own. It's his own blood. You see, Jesus' path as the lion, his road to being king, did not come through slaying others, but rather by sacrificing himself for us. It came through his own suffering. It came as he gave his life to turn rebellious enemies like us into faithful subjects. The supreme lion chose to become the sacrificial lamb. We see this again in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. That right there, friends, is the gospel. That is the story of Easter. It starts, though, notice it starts with us. That we are stuck in our futile ways of sin. Every single one of us, we're born with sinful hearts. We do sinful things. We rebel against God. We disobey his word. We reject him as our God and King, to do our own thing. And because we have rejected the holy God of the universe, we deserve wrath, punishment, hell even. 
And yet, God, out of his infinite love for us, out of his grace and mercy towards us, it says that he ransomed us with the precious blood, the perfect blood of Christ. In other words, God sent his own son to come to earth, to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to willingly go to the cross and die a sinner's death, to give himself for us. He stood in our place as a substitute, and he took the death and the punishment that we deserved, and he put it on himself, and he died in our place. That's why it says that he did it for the sake of you, for you, that you might be saved from your sin and come to follow Christ. He stood in your place on the cross, and he was buried in the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life. Knowing, it says, that God raised him from the dead. To prove that he was God, to prove that he had conquered sin, that he had conquered death, he came back and he offers all of us forgiveness. If we will turn away from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, he says, we can have faith and hope in God. Some of you right now, your faith and your hope are in the things of this world or in yourself or in your job or in your family or in your bank account or whatever else it is. But you know, deep down you know that that's not going to last. And one day it's going to fail you. And then you're going to be lost and stuck. The only one that can stand up underneath the weight of our faith and our hope is God himself. And that comes through Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 9, Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He sacrificed himself. But then this says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. God has exalted Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the victor. He is the king. Because first, he was the sacrifice. He was willing to give himself to ransom us. Friends, I don't know what you've heard other places. I don't know what you've read, what you've been told. But please, let me assure you today. Jesus' sacrifice is the only solution for our sin. We all have the same problem. But the only answer, the only solution, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf and the forgiveness that comes through faith in him. So I'll go back to my original question. Do you trust King Jesus to save you. Do you trust him today? We've already seen he is the lion. 
He is God's chosen one, Lord of all, victor over sin and death, the king forever. That is without question. It is undisputed by God himself. But he is also the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb who gave his sinless blood to cleanse us and to save us. And the only way that we can be saved from death and hell and get to spend eternity with God is if you trust in King Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. Will you trust in the risen King Jesus today? I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. If you're new to church, we're not going to do anything weird, I promise. We're not going to just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment here. I just want to give you a moment, just a holy moment with the Lord. Just for you to check your heart and just talk with God and let him speak to you right now. Some of you are here today and you're stuck. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in yourself. King me is still on the throne. And you're trying to be the king of your own life and it's just not working. You can't do it can't make it on your own. You keep hitting the wall over and over again. And in trying to be your own king, you've actually become a slave. A slave to your own self, your own sin, a slave to the world. But today, Jesus wants to rescue you. He wants to free you from your sin. And all you have to do is A, B, C. It's that simple. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner and that you cannot fix your sin problem. That you need Jesus to deliver you, to rescue you from your sin. Admit. And then B, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That he was God who came to earth, lived a perfect life, and then gave his life to cover your sins he died on the cross for you. Believe that. And then see, confess. Confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Tell him today, Jesus, I believe and I ask you, save me from my sin. Save me and help me to follow you from this day forward. You can do it. You can make him your king today step into a whole new life with God. So I want to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to pray a prayer and if that's the desire of your heart I'm going to invite you just to say these words with me to the Lord. Just repeat them after me right there in your seat. Now you have to it has to be from your heart. It can't just be the words. The prayer doesn't save you but if your heart's desire is to truly turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. This is how you do it. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot fix my sin problem, that I need you to save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again to give me new life. So I confess today that Jesus 
you are my Lord and my Savior. Help me to follow you from this day forward. In Christ's name.